welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Welcome. Great to see you all here. I feel very privileged to be up here to be able to share with you this morning. Like uh, Tony and Kath have already done, I would love to welcome you if you're here for the first time. It's a privilege to have you with us this morning. And uh, we are partway through a series, a series called Follow. And uh, I would just encourage you, um, as we look at this series, is really just looking at what it does and what it doesn't mean to be a follower of Jesus. And so you've lobbed in today on, on week four of this particular series. And so if you've missed out on any other parts of this series, I would encourage you to go to our website, www.victorychurch.net.au, or onto iTunes and to download the rest of this series. I think it really will encourage you um, either as a believer or as a person perhaps contemplating what it means to be a Christian. So far we've had a look at, um, I guess, the fact that Jesus extends an invitation to all of us to follow him, irrespective of whether we are sinners, whether we are unbelievers or whatever we are, Jesus says, come, follow me. You are not disqualified by the fact that you've done some bad things. You are not disqualified by your lack of belief. Jesus calls you into a journey or onto a journey with him. And along the journey, he is going to help you to understand and to believe what he's all about. Okay, so the faith and the questions will come, the, uh, the questions and the answers to the questions will come as we partake in this journey with Jesus. Last week, we looked at the fact that where is this journey going to actually take us? And many people think, you know, oh, the journey is going to take us to heaven or the journey is going to take us towards being a better person or the journey is going to take us to a, a pain-free, problem-free life. And, and Tone debunked all of that straight up. Said, no, look, that's, that's not really what it's all about. This whole journey with Jesus is about developing a faith, a confidence in him that is so strong that we ultimately come to the place where we are fearless, where we can face anything this life throws at us in the strength and the goodness we find in God. And so that's kind of a, a brief prelude to where we're up to today. And today is part four, and it's simply entitled, Follow Where? Follow Where? Okay, people often are identified, or who they follow is identified by what they wear. And so I just want to throw a few pictures up here. Mush, if you can please put the first one up, that'd be great. So these guys here are identical. We can tell who they follow by what they're wearing. And so these guys are Port Power supporters. And obviously, it's a bit of a surprise not to see Kerry up there. She usually gets her head in somewhere when it's got Port Power. Um, next one, please. Okay, these guys. These guys are a bit more righteous. Um, these guys are following the crows. Awesome. All right, next, please. Because it's not just about sporting teams. But also, you know, who we might follow in life, perhaps our way of life, can also be demonstrated by what we wear. And so these guys here are following who? Well, they're Muslims, aren't they? They're following Islam or following the teaching of the Prophet Muhammad. Okay, next. Okay, these guys, these guys are Sikhs, so they're following Sikhism. Okay, very obvious through those, those, head, uh, those turbans that they're wearing. These guys, you may recognise, these are Buddhists, okay? So they're following the teachings of Buddha. And finally, these guys here, they're Jews. And Jews are very, um, particularly Orthodox Jews, are very distinctive by what they wear also. And so it brings us to the question, or certainly I think it's a good question, well, what as Christians should we be wearing? You know, many people have posed that question and many people, you might, certain things might come to mind when you think about what should I perhaps be wearing as a Christian? And so let's, put up, let's have a look at a few alternatives, what we could wear as a follower of Jesus. 
Some people think we should get back to the early church and back to the first century and back to our roots. And, and I don't know about you, but I just don't think that's a good look um, for today. Worked well back then. Um, you see, they all blended in. Um, and, but it probably wouldn't work for us today. So maybe we won't be dressing like that. Um, maybe we'll get a bit more modern. Uh, yep. Okay, these guys, uh, they're actually a community in America. They're Amish people. And, and they have kind of um, chose to uh, live out their faith a little bit in isolation from, from much of the rest of the world. And they've sort of shunned some of the modern technology of this day. And, and they're very much into, I guess, dressing in a way that is modest and so on and so forth. And so that, 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 that would be very characteristic of what they would wear um, to express their faith in Jesus and the fact they're following Jesus. There's others who might dress something differently. Um, you know, maybe you've seen people that... I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff we could have put up here, but I didn't want to offend too many people, so I just thought, well, that's fairly, that's fairly, you know, kind of says what I wanted to say without being too rude to any particular group of people. But, you know, some people, they're just, they're just in your face about, you know, following Jesus. They're extreme, okay? And so they want you to know that. And so they're, they're bold and brash about what they believe. And uh, if we think about this then, you, you might think, well, what, okay, what do we wear? What do we wear? Well, if we come back to the New Testament and we look at what we should wear, it's interesting that while there are a few clues as to perhaps you know, something with regards to dress code in terms of physical dress, there's actually not that much on it. In fact, it's not what we wear, physically speaking, that is to be our distinguishing mark as a Christian. But nonetheless, we are called to be dressed in something. And so I just want to look this morning at what is it that's the distinguishing mark of followers of Jesus. And to do that, I want to turn quickly to John chapter 13. And I'm going to read a few scriptures, a few verses, starting in verse 33. And so this, this is just set the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Okay, So Jesus has gathered his, his closest followers together. They've shared a, time of, a special time of communion together. And, and Judas has just left the room to go and betray Jesus. And Jesus says this, my children, I'll be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I'll tell you now, where I'm going, you can't come. So Jesus gets their attention by saying, hey, time is short, guys. I'm not going to be around too much longer. He then continues, a new command I give you, love one another. And you just imagine the disciples say, yep, yep, love, got it. Okay, cool, move on. And then he goes, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. And like, I don't know if you think about that, that is a massive bar-raising moment. Not just love one another, like, you know, go with your feelings, be nice, etc. But no, Jesus said, no, as I've loved you. As I've loved you, by persevering with you guys, despite your dullness at moments, despite the fact you mess things up, despite the fact you, you, you bring my name down at times, love that way. Love, or sorry, love in the way I've loved you through trusting you, despite the fact you've had your doubts about me. As I've loved you by calling you, even though I know all about your sins, even though I know all about your failings and your doubts, I've loved you enough to call you into my world. That's the way I want you as my followers to love one another. And then he goes on to say, by this, this type of love, all men 
all men and women, regardless of time, regardless of place, regardless of culture, will know that you're my disciples if you love one another in that way. So this love of one another, Jesus, you know, you'd think one of the most important things that he's going to say would be just before he's about to leave. And so this is fairly crucial that, that his church, his people, get this particular message. That the love of one another is going to be the distinguishing mark of Christians, of those who follow Jesus. Not a crucifix, not a habit like nuns wear, not a hat, not a t-shirt, but the way we love one another is going to be the distinguishing factor as to those that follow Jesus. And Simon Peter, in classic Simon Peter fashion, says, Lord, where are you going again? (laughs) It's like, (laughs) just miss the moment. And, you know, it's like, yep, yep, love, love, got it, yep. Now, where are you going? And I don't know about you, but I think it's so easy for us to do that. You know, Jesus just sort of unpoured his, you know, unpacked the key of why he's there, what he wants the church to be like. And all Peter can worry about is, yeah, but where are you going? What's, what's the deeper truth here? Move on, Jesus. And you and I can be very, very guilty of that very same thing. And so today we're going to talk about, we're going to unpack this whole idea of love a little bit. But don't be like Peter this morning. Don't say, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. That, yeah, oh, yeah, Christianity 101, big deal. But listen, tune in this morning. I encourage you to do that. Because if we get our priorities wrong in this area, we just end up with a cold, heartless religion that is just based on rule keeping rather than relationship. We have looked at that over the past couple of weeks. This is the furthest thing from Jesus' mind that he ever just established a cold, heartless religion based on rules and regulations that keeps people in bondage. Jesus came, as we've already heard, I think Tony mentioned, to set us free from that sort of thing. He came to bring us into a relationship with himself, into a relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, into a relationship with one another. And we do life together. We rub shoulders with one another and we sharpen each other up along the way. The trouble is that when we do fall for this heartless, cold type of religion, the problem is that we assume that we're loving God and they're actually doing him a favour when in reality we're actually alienating people through our self-righteousness and our judgmentalism and all these things. You know, we think that's doing God a favour. I'm being a good Christian. When I know what is right and when I know what is wrong, when I hold people account, all that sort of stuff. You know, we think we're doing the right thing, but ultimately we can be alienating people if we don't do it in the right way. That's why some people don't go to church. Maybe that's why it took you so long to get to church. Because you've known some Christians, some followers of Jesus... And they're some of the meanest, nastiest people you've ever known and met. Well, again, maybe, maybe you've known people like that. Maybe you've been one of them. I think I have at times. So Jesus hates that. That was never his intention. That's why he left them with such simple and powerful words, love one another. As I have loved you, so I want you to love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. That's what's going to set you guys apart. And so just moving on quickly then, so that's what Jesus left his disciples with. If we jump ahead, say, 20-odd years, we come across the writings of a, or a guy named Paul began to write some things down. Now, this guy named Paul, he was formerly a Christian hunter. Okay, he hated the church. He was a Jew of Jews. He was a man who was fervent in his determination to serve God with all of his strength, all of his energy, all his heart and soul. And he thought that one of the ways he could do that was to wipe out this sect of Christians 
these people who, who, who said that Jesus was God because that was blasphemy. He served the one true God. Who is this Jesus? And these Christians, they don't deserve to live. And so he set about hunting them down with a passion. And he would catch people. We actually read an example of, um, of a Christian who is martyred in Acts chapter 8, Stephen. And Paul is just standing there giving approval. We see that from there, he goes on, he gets letters and authority to go and arrest Christians wherever he can find them and bring them back before the Sanhedrin and see those people uh, condemned. Because that was his, that's what he used to be. But along the way, on one of those journeys, he actually became a Christian. He had an encounter with Jesus and his life was turned upside down, right way up. It was radically changed. He was converted. And so from that moment on, he began to become a Jesus follower. And we see that it didn't happen overnight, but certainly there's a process that he went through. But ultimately, he became a leader in the early church. He became a person who planted, the, planted many, many churches. And much of the New Testament that we have today is actually his writings to some of those early churches and to some of the leaders in those early churches. Okay, and we're going to have a read in a moment of, of some of his writings. Okay, he, 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 as he was going about establishing churches and as he was you know, meeting with people from different churches that, as he had moved on and you know, as he was sort of keeping in contact by the individuals and by the letters, and all this, he realised that these guys are still the same type of people as what Jesus was encountering. He realised that these are people, and, and we all are, who tend towards religion much more easily than we tend towards relationship. We tend to go towards rules and doings and don'tings and all that sort of thing rather than just keeping our focus on Jesus, allowing him to lead us and, and for him to live through us and impact the lives of others in a positive way. And so he says this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, and I'm not going to, there's a whole bunch of truth in there that is worth unpacking, but I can't do it now for the sake of time. But he's basically talking to the church. He says, clothe yourselves, clothe yourselves with, and so to me, just this whole idea of clothing, this clothing metaphor that he's using, to me suggests there's an element of our will involved here. Clothe yourselves. Not just wait around and, you know, it'll all change you wake up one morning and you'll be miraculously become like Jesus. He said, no, there's some, there's some things that you can do here. Getting dressed, it's a daily decision. You don't do it just once. You don't suddenly attain patience or kindness or whatever. It's, just, it's, just it's a daily deal. It involves choice. You know, when you get up in the morning, you, you probably you think about, okay, what have I worn yesterday? What needs to go in the wash? What's clean? What's the weather like? What am I doing today? There's all these sort of decisions that... that that, you, that determine what you're actually ultimately going to wear. And so too, Paul's saying at the start of the day, we should determine what we're going to wear. What is appropriate? What do we need for the day ahead? Now, fashions come and fashions go, but some, some things don't change. And the things that we're going to look at, they are always appropriate. Every morning, we should be making a choice to put these things on in our lives. They're not physical clothes, but they're attributes. They're, sorry, they're attitudes and they're responses to what's going to come at us in life. Okay, so I just want to go through some of these things and unpack them just quickly for you. But the first thing he tells us to clothe ourselves with is compassion. Compassion. Now, if you've got a King James Version, it's got a really odd little phrase in there. It says, clothe yourselves with bowels of mercy or bowels of mercies. That's a little bit odd to me. I wouldn't even understand that. But I think what it's really saying is, is clothe yourself with a gut-wrenching type of love. The sort of love that says, I feel your pain. If, for those of us that are parents, 
And I think you can, even if you're not a parent, you can relate to this sort of thing. But you know, when you're a parent, I mean, just think of watching my girls trying to learn to ride their bike. And you watch them go around the car park, and you see them take a corner a little bit too sharp. They're on their, on their training wheels, and training wheels are good unless you lean too far, and then suddenly, bam, you're over. And there's skin off, and there's blood starting to come through. And there's that horrible moment of silence. You know, that silence while they take the deepest breath they possibly can before they start screaming the house down. And at that moment, you can feel their pain. You can feel, and if there was anything you could possibly do to remove that pain from them and bring it into your body, you would. And then you run to their house and you do whatever you can to try and alleviate the pain. This is compassion. This is not just standing aloof, not being uninvolved or unconcerned by what's going on around about us. This is like feeling the pain of those around about us. It's not being apathetic. It's not being heartless or disinterested. It's like, no, I understand what you're going through. I can, I can sense the depth of your hurt right now. And responding on the basis of that. It's an emotion so strong that it will move us to do something. Often we see Jesus moved by compassion. He met some people, and, you know, the crowds were pressing in and they were sick and hurting. And so he was moved by compassion to heal the sick. When people have been following for days, he realized they were hungry and moved by compassion. He provided a miraculous feed for them. And so compassion is something that will move us to do something. It's a beautiful thing. It's something that's not to be despised or dismissed. It's, I guess it's like pity. You know, and again, I thank God for, for pity and for sympathy and these things because it's part of the heart of God. He, when, when someone sees your pain and feels for, feels for you, don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. It's something that comes from the heart of God. Something far worse than, than being pitied is when someone just doesn't care. When someone doesn't give a rip. When someone can just observe your pain and not be moved in the slightest. That's compassion. And we can start our day by asking God, God, help me to be compassionate. Help me to be sensitive to the needs of those around about me. And help me to respond in a way that's appropriate to those needs. The second thing to clothe ourselves with is kindness. Now, kindness is about being friendly. It's about being generous and considerate or helpful when you don't have to be. It's about doing something good for someone who doesn't expect it or possibly doesn't even deserve it. Now, again, this is the sort of love that Jesus said, love as I've loved you. And again, we should be just resonating in the back of our head with, yeah, this is the type of love that Jesus has already demonstrated to us. We're not waiting for this to happen. We've already received this type of love. It's about using our strength to help somebody who can't help themselves. And it could be a physical strength, like maybe helping someone move house. But it could be just providing emotional support. You're, you're strong emotionally. You've got to help someone through their emotionally low period when they don't know where to turn. It could be inviting someone into your friendship group. They expect to be ignored. And maybe some of the things they've said and done to you behind your back, they deserve to be ignored. But kindness embraces and brings people in. Maybe it's about giving helpful advice. You see something going on, and you could just leave them to it and let them reap the consequences of their stupidity or whatever, but kindness steps in and brings some advice. It brings practical support, etc., etc. The opposite of kindness, I think, is just that judgmental attitude that says, oh, they deserve it. 
They bought it upon themselves by reaping what they've sown, an eye for an eye, whatever it might be. It's that judgmental religious attitude that Jesus despised so much. It's rudeness. It's cruelty. These are the things that we're to put aside in order to put on kindness. The third thing that Paul mentions is humility. Clothe yourself with humility. Now, I don't know about you, but this seems to be something that is increasingly rare in our society today. I mean, everyone's been talking, being told these days to sell yourself, to have a positive self-esteem. I was reading about the Australian soccer team the other day, and they were in all sorts of trouble. And apparently the problem is that it's no longer about the team. It's about each player trying to build their own brand. <laughs> this is the world we live in. But humility is not about being down on yourself. It's not about having a low self-opinion. It's just about having a right perspective of how you stand in relation to others, whether that be God or other people. So in relation to God, we just need to understand firstly and foremostly, above all else, he's God, and you're not, and I'm not. He made us, we didn't make him. He's the boss, we're not. We've got to start there. But having started there, the next thing is, okay, how does that impact our relationship to others? Well, the fact is that God made us all in his image. He loves us all with an everlasting love. We are all precious in his sight. So if you think you're special, awesome. But so is every other person. What makes you special is what makes them special. What makes me special is what makes you special, is what makes people in Indonesia or Africa or Middle East or whatever, special in God's sight. All created in his image. We should understand that we're no better. We're probably just more fortunate. If you understand that if you've got anything in this life that makes you look better than someone else, it's probably just your circumstances. Maybe the genetic disposition that you have, genetic makeup that you have, maybe the parents that you had, maybe the country you were born in. More fortunate, perhaps, but not better. Never better. If we understand this, well, then we're going to treat people with respect regardless of their position or my position. I might have a position that some would consider lofty and, and, and privileged, but that doesn't give me the right to look down on and treat someone less because their position might not be as lofty as mine. It means that if I'm humble, I won't patronise you. I won't belittle you. I won't treat you like a project. I'll treat you like a peer. I treat you like someone who's got something worth saying, someone, someone who is worth listening to, someone who is worth caring for, and so on and so forth. I will appreciate what you do for me rather than just expect that you should do it for me. These are the, some of the outworkings of humility. The fourth thing is gentleness. Clothe yourself with gentleness. This is about responding to others based on their weakness or strength. It's about adjusting ourselves, accommodating to where other people are at. I, lo I love Jeff Bedenham. He's a great friend of mine. He's a big ox of a man, very strong. And I'm thankful every time I shake his hand and he doesn't just leave me with this broken, ragged little thing on the end of my arm. Because he could if he wanted to. He could just rip my hand to shreds because he's, got, he's, he's a 
tradesman, he's got very strong hands. And I know all the time, he often laughs at me as he looks at me and shakes my hands, and he sometimes gives me a little wimpy shake, sometimes just a firm shake, but, but he never gives me the full strength because he knows I can't handle it. He gears down towards my level of strength. And I appreciate that about Jeff. He could show me how strong he is. In fact, sometimes on that door, I've had people who walk past and they want to show me how strong they are. I'm just about crying, but they won't let go. What is that? What is that? We're talking about gentleness here, and they're just trying to show me how strong they are, trying to make me cry in front of everyone. I don't... But we're called to be gentle. We're called to gear ourselves down when we've got strength of any sort. You know, again, you ask Jeff to lift a water, move a wardrobe, he could just pick it up for you and just move that thing over there. He's strong. He can do that. But if you ask him to pick up a little duckling, he can do that too. He just makes adjustments. He doesn't pick it up the same way. It, it, it will be ugly. I mean, I know in this church it seems that people don't mind doing nasty things to ducklings or... Maybe listen to a few messages a few weeks, about a month ago, I think it was. But it's about gearing ourselves down, adjusting ourselves to the strength of others. Gentle people don't come into a conversation on the basis of all they are and all that they've done. You don't like that, I don't like that. When people come in and they're all over us with who they are and what they're about and how clever they are. Or you know, whether it's the physical strength thing, or whether it's how rich they are, or whether it's all their achievements, and you just feel like beaten up and you know. People that are gentle are able to help where needed, using the strength that's appropriate without going over the top and showing the full extent of their strength or their skill or their intellect. Because when people do that, we can end up feeling small and insignificant or battered and bruised. But a gentle person comes along and you feel safe. You feel secure. You feel helped. If people aren't gentle, if people are harsh, if people are overbearing, if people are insensitive, well, then that tends to create in us fear and insecurity. So I love strength. I love the fact that Jesus is and our God is the most powerful being in the universe. But I love the fact that Jesus is meek and mild. He came and he geared himself down to deal with humanity. He could have come and dealt with humanity in one foul blow 2,000 years ago and judged all sin there and then. But he chose not to. He came to our level. He dealt with us at our level of strength, at our level of maturity and wisdom and so on and so forth. And he gave us the option of eternal life. Strength, sorry, gentleness is a beautiful thing. Patience. Patience is about just being prepared to slow down, to wait, to be inconvenienced for the sake of others. I'm going to move at your speed instead of mine. I could go a lot faster than this, but I'm going to gear myself back in order to help you grow, in order to help you get to know the ropes, in order to help you go through this process with someone rather than get overwhelmed by it on your own. It's about coming alongside in order to help bring up to speed. The opposite, I guess, is being impatient or pushy or rushed. All those things that just subconsciously say to people, you're an inconvenience to me. It's about giving people the time, the room and the space to go through their processes rather than intervening. When we could do it faster, we could do it better. 
but for the sake of the growth of the individual. It's like kids, you know, you've got them, they've got a, a jigsaw puzzle there, and you're looking at it, you think, yep, that goes there, that goes there. And you, everything within you, you're holding back because you just want to pick up that piece that they're going, and it's like there's one piece left. There's one hole. It's like you've got one piece in their hand. It's so obvious that bit goes there. Just give it here, I'll do it. But no, as a good parent, as a patient parent, you sit there for minute after minute after minute, they're going, it's like, get that little round bit, just put it in that little hole there. How hard is it? And that's what we can, like, we can be like in our marriages. That's what we can be like at work. That's what we can be like in our friendships. Like, when are you going to get this? But patience just gears back and say, hey, I'm going to give you time to work this thing out because you'll learn more that way rather than just do what you've been told or, or whatever it might be. It might be helping someone at work. Again, if you can coach someone through and help them to do your job in order that you can move on, ultimately there's a net win. It's shorter, it's, it's, it's tedious, it, it takes longer in the short term, but the long-term results are far better. So let's be prepared to be patient when it comes to new Christians. You know, you've got, people along, you've got people that want to bring them to church and want to see them start to follow Jesus. And, but they've got all this mess going on in their lives. Why can't they just get over it? Why can't they just stop doing that? Well, because you didn't. <laughs> and they're no different than you. And so we come alongside and we persevere and we say things over and over and over again and they still don't get it. But we're just trying to help them to go through the process. Because if they can catch something... It's far better than just, just being fitted into a religious little box that says, you, you know, you can come here, but you can't do this, this, and this. And try and get people to conform. We'd be patient with people and we, we let them grow. It's time. Moving on. Paul goes on. He talks about bearing with one another. This is just about making allowances for one, one another's faults. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Again, something that's already been extended towards us is forgiveness. We have no option but to forgive. Forgiveness is simply just cancelling the debt. It's choosing to let things lie in the past rather than keep bringing them up and reminding them and festering over them. Because Jesus has left our past behind. So too. Let's leave one another's past behind. Let's let people move on. Again, if we can put this practice into our, into our parenting and into our marriages, into our relationships, into our workplaces, how great can things be? And over all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. All of those things, I think, are the ways that love is expressed. Love is the umbrella. It's, it's like the, the central thought that all these other areas are expressed in. It's like the underlying attitude. If I, you know, God's love is like this. I want the best for you. I want the best from you, for you. Even if it costs me something to see that happen. That's God's love. He was willing to sacrifice in order that we could have the best possible opportunity in life and so that's the underlying attitude that we are to have for people around about us and when we have that we can begin then to operate in things like patience things like kindness things like humility things which don't come naturally to us things which are a struggle things which are frustrating to do 
But if we've got that overall, that underlying sense of, I want the best for you, we can begin to do some of these other things. As Jesus has already done for us. So I'm just concluding, you know, you might be thinking again, mate, that's exactly what I expected to hear. Come to church, get a pastor to tell me about, you know, kindness and, you know, humility. You know, that's what you're paid to do. Big deal. Thanks for nothing. I knew that would happen if I went to church. Well, that's good. Um, that's what I've done. But let's not be like Peter. They said, I'll move on. Tell me about Revelation. <laughs> Tell me about the end of the world. Tell me about something a bit more exciting. No, this is where it's at. This is where it's at. I love the fact these guys were able to go into Kalawasi without mentioning the name of Jesus, but they have left an imprint that has got Jesus written all over it in the lives of those kids and those parents and those other pastors, etc. Because it's about what comes out of our heart and the way we respond to one another that will tell people. People who haven't even possibly heard the name of Jesus, but they're going to be intrigued as to why would they do that? Why would people come from Australia, the blessed country of Australia, to our little old backwater and do something for us? What's that about? That messes with people's heads. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted to do. You might be saying, well, if I do all that you're talking about, you know, if I spend all my time trying to be patient and kind and loving and you know, that's all very well if all I have to do is sit at home and help my three-year-old finish a jigsaw puzzle. But I'm in the real world. I've got a to-do list longer than my arm. I've got to deal with people. I've got a boss that's riding me. I've got, I've got to get you know, production up. I've got to do all of these things. And to be loving, to be patient, to be kind, to be, that sounds like a fast track to the end of the lo- back of the line for me. It sounds like a fast track to insignificance and obscurity to me. And it would be, except that God's behind it. And his plan on this planet, you know, he's let us in on his secret, but it's to elevate the humble. It's that the first will be last and the last will be first. And so when people take God at his word and going against all of our natural tendencies... We begin to submit ourselves to the will of God. It's kind of counterintuitive. It's like, you know, be humble and you get walked all over. And God says, yeah, there's that possibility. But you see, when you be humble and and you risk getting walked all over, that's an act of faith. And where faith is enacted, I see, I hear, and I come, and I intervene. And so if we look at the lives of the two people that we've talked about already, Jesus himself... And then Paul, who came and unpacked the message of the gospel for the Gentiles. These, or Paul and Jesus, weren't just people who sat around all day philosophizing and doing nothing and achieving nothing. Jesus is the most influential person on the planet today. And Paul would be pretty close right behind. 2,000 years later, we're reading his writings. Many people across the face of the planet would know His name. Like with Peter, there are churches all over the place named after him. His impact is massive. The world has been shaped by his teaching. And he was a man who lived in these areas. He lived in humility. He lived in kindness. He lived in patience. And so on and so forth. The things that God is calling us to wear today... They sound on the surface like things that will diminish our voice and diminish our effectiveness and put us in the backwater. 
but they won't. Because we have God behind us, they will actually amplify what we're saying. They will help people to hear. You know, people in this world today, they're sick of spin. They're sick of hype. They're sick of false advertising. They're sick of being used as a stepping stone. They're sick of getting taken for a fool, etc., etc., etc. They want to know, are you for real? Do you really care? And these things that come from our innermost being, compassion, humility, kindness, these are things that scream, yes, I really care. This is why Paul and Jesus had droves of people following them. Because they flew in the face of everything else. It was all about, look at me and, and you can do this for me. It's, it's like, no, I care about you. And I believe that if we will put these things into our lives, we can be massively more influential than possibly we've ever been before. I trust has already measured these things in our lives right now. But I think the more and more and more that we can bring these things into our lives, the more people understand that we really are here for them the more they'll come out from hiding and the more that they'll get in on this great adventure with us. We can expect that people will sit up and take notice when people will come and become like Jesus. When people see the sort of love that Jesus demonstrated, demonstrated consistently. I'm not talking about perfection. I mean, you're going to have your moments. There are going to be moments when you appear really impatient, Really unkind, because you're still human, as am I. But we're talking about the overall picture, the tone of your life. If the tone of your life is patient, if the tone of your life is kind, if the tone of your life is humble, you're going to have a significant impact in the lives of those around about you because they are sick and tired, as I said, to the back teeth with all these promises with so little deliverance on the end of it. So why not... Let Jesus loose in your wardrobe. <laughs> Why not let him look through some stuff and say, yeah, nah, that's not you anymore. That can go. That can go. That can go. That, that's never going to go to style. <laughs> Keep that. Wear that daily. Compassion, yep, love it. Looks great on you. Kindness, etc. Let's ask him, you know, and this, this looks like this at the start of the day. Lord, help me to see people the way that you do today and help me to respond in the way that you would respond. Lord, I'm a bit of a heartless person. I'm a bit of a, a, bit of a you know, just get the job type done person. Lord, maybe break my heart for the lost. Maybe just help me to see what's really going on in the lives of those at work, etc., etc., and help me to respond accordingly. Lord, filter my personality type my to-do list, all the things I've got to get done through these attitudes, through these responses. Jesus doesn't want to diminish you. He doesn't want to make you useless and nullify your effectiveness in this world. He wants to propel you forward. Ask him to help you respond and to recognize how to respond to people at their level of strength and their level of capacity. There are too many people in the world today who are anti-church, anti-God, anti-Jesus simply because they came across Christians just couldn't be bothered getting dressed in the morning. Just got up, same as they did yesterday, and oh yeah, wander out, let, let all their fleshliness, their ugliness, their 
fallen humanity just hang out all over the place. And it's, it's, it's ugly. But Jesus says, no, I get dressed. Put on kindness. Put on compassion. Let's be like that. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.